It's a responsatory psalm in that it's meant to be verse read by the priests and then the people respond. And we can do this for 26 verses, but we're going to do it for the first three verses. And so if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, I'll read the verse and then you guys read the response. His mercy endures forever. Again, we're just going to go through the first three verses. Psalm 136, Psalm 136, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of hosts. And Father, we just thank You for Your enduring mercy, Lord. Your mercy that has watched over us throughout the days of this past year, and Father, will keep us in the years to come. And so, Lord, again, as we stand here in this place with your word in our hands, I pray that it would inhabit our hearts. So once again, we just ask that you would speak to us and guide us through the next half hour or so. That again, Father, you would just set our hearts right before you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Just want to ask the question, as I said, it's just going to be a short time, we just want to gather together today, as I said in my prayer, to set our hearts right on this day of Thanksgiving. But the question that I want to ask is, as a society, as a people, what have we become? And we see the things that are even going on across the nation, regardless of what your point of view is. You see, what have we become? We've become an arrogant people. We've become a people who are void of the knowledge of God and have these high expectations and beliefs of what is due to us. And Well, we've completely lost perspective. The majority of homes in this nation today are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving without a thankful heart whatsoever. And again, we have to understand what it was that we deserved. And we deserve judgment. Before a holy God, we do not deserve to... Well, we don't deserve what we're going to be able to celebrate today. Now, in October 3rd, I'm not going to read it today, but October 3rd, 1863, President Lincoln issued his proclamation, Thanksgiving proclamation that was soon to become a nationally recognized holiday. It had been recognized for quite a few years up to that point, but it was about to be recognized as a holiday. Now, I get this app on on my computer, and it tells you what happened this particular day back in the days of the Civil War. So I usually read it every day and see what was going on during the Civil War times. Well, this past week, they had an article, the newspaper of the day back in the Civil War times. It was right after the very first official Thanksgiving Day holiday was celebrated. And it's interesting to see from the perspective of back then, in the midst of this horrible war that was to take over 500,000 lives, inclusive from both sides. Because again, they were both Americans. Both sides were Americans that were fighting. And and the newspaper man, now from the perspective of the North, obviously it was a Northern newspaper, but he said, on this Thanksgiving, it was just in the midst of war, he said it was a blessing. This is a guy writing in a newspaper. It was a blessing to see how families came together. Well, you see, this is happening all across our nation even today. Families are getting together. I'm getting together with my family. But then he said something that was very interesting, and I don't think it could be reported today, and churches were filled. And churches were filled. It's because they had the proper perspective of thanksgiving. Again, they're in the midst of war. They're in the midst of you know, all the, the hardship that can go on in a life. But nonetheless, they're understanding the goodness that God has, 
has bestowed upon them. And they're understanding the blessings of God regardless of the hardship that was going on. And they realize that as we're taking this time to give thanks, it does no good just to be thankful. It needs to be thankful before a holy God. But before a holy God that has given me my next breath to breathe. A holy God that as we're amongst family and friends has filled that table to overflowing. I guarantee you, the majority of you, if not all of you, will be eating leftovers for how long? You know, for weeks to come. And again, if you don't have that, let me know. We still have Thanksgiving boxes. We still have turkeys back there if you have nothing to celebrate your Thanksgiving with. In the past, I've looked that the feast is to be eaten. Today is a day of acceptable gluttony. (laughs) If you do so with the right spirit. If you do so understanding that this has come from God God has given me this, and, and, and I mean this in all sincerity, as we're eating that meal, even allow your eating and your abundance to be worshipped to God, understanding that every bite that you're taking is a gift from God. And so again, back in that day, families had gotten together, and churches were filled. And so now we come to Psalm 136, looking at it as today's scripture, and we see that God's mercy, it endures forever. Never will it go away. Never will it not have an effect upon my life. From now through, all the way through to eternity. Now this psalm, Psalm 136, is a psalm of praise given in a response to thanks to God. A recognition of who God is and a recognition of what God has done. Because again, you can't separate the two. When you recognize who God is, and you need to be meditating upon who God is. Just as I'm driving here today, it's just crystal clear out there and you can Pick the individual trees off the mountains as they're coming up here. See those things, and in those things, see the hand of God. And understand who God is, but understand who God is to you. Understand that that God is your God. That God who has given you mercy. That God who has blessed you with salvation and continues to bless you every day of your life. This is a psalm that focuses on worship and how God is to be praised and thanked for all that He has done. Every area of this psalm is taking on a certain aspect of the worship of God from different perspectives and different circumstances and situations. And so Psalm 163 is to be done corporately. And again, that's the beauty about coming together in the body of Christ. Corporately and just worshiping God and just understanding that as God has blessed me, God has blessed you. And if there's anybody here who is not blessed, God desires to bless you through the rest of us. And again, it's all about being part of the family of God. And you're going to celebrate that today if you get together with family and friends. Is that feeling of family that is so special. I mean, yesterday was one of those days, you know, I just love, I, I just really like Thanksgiving. You know, yesterday was kind of like Friday. You know, I, I, I had a hard time, you know, you kept thinking it was Friday. And then, you know, I get home and, well, first of all, I had to go bring some stuff up to my daughter up in Ontario. And that's where we're gathering today and dropping it off. And there's Henry and my daughter and her husband and you know, just cel- you know, celebrating that family and then coming home and the mocks are there, my, my other daughter and her husband and their three grandchildren. And again, just coming together, waking up with them this morning. We only have one bathroom. That's kind of a pain, but we'll be thankful for the bathroom that we have and uh, or other bathrooms being worked on. Um, but again, just rejoicing in God and God's goodness and understanding these simple things. We can be so, you know, just with all of the stuff and the things you know, what's tomorrow? What is tomorrow? Black Friday. This, you know, it's like, 
does the world even understand this? This is the day that we're going to go out and spend a whole lot of money, get a whole bunch of things and stuff, and we call it Black Friday? Truly it is Black Friday. Because it's that day that we completely, as a people, lose perspective of what's important. Somebody's going to stomp over somebody else to buy a doll or a video game or a TV or whatever it might be. For, see, for, for certain periods of time tomorrow, it's going to be real black, seriously speaking, because that TV or that thing is going to be worth more than a human life. The ability to be able to save 30% is going to be worth more than a human life. You know, in, 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 the, in the perspective that people have tomorrow. And again, it's a sad thing. Three key words in these verses in this chapter, 136. First one is in verse 11, and brought us out. The word out. Brought us out of Israel from among them, for His mercy endures forever. Understanding that it's God who has brought us out from the world. Verse 16, to Him who has led His people through the wilderness, for His mercy endures forever. God brings us through this life. Psalm 136, verse 23, who in remembrance of us in our lowly state, for His mercy endures forever. He remembers us and He will remember us for eternity. So first of all, just start out thanking God who took you out of the world. I mean, think about that. Salvation is of the Lord. So many times we think we chose Him. He chose us. He saw you in the world in your unsaved state and He had pity upon you. He had mercy upon you. You know, this word mercy is peppered throughout the Scriptures. Keep in mind, mercy keeps us out of hell. Grace gets us into heaven. And so as he could have condemned you, he decided not to. And he looked at you and he had mercy upon you and he brought you unto himself. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, and the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And truly, you were plucked from the fire. I know I was plucked from the fire. I thought I was going to heaven. I was hoping I was going to heaven, but I was destined for hell. I was destined for hell, and I had no assurances whatsoever. But again, if you look at the totality of my life, God peered down and saw me and brought me unto himself. And for that, I'm forever grateful. I'm forever thankful. Secondly, it's he who brings us through our wilderness times. In Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. God's rod and staff of keeping and correction. They give, I get comfort in that. I get comfort in the correction of God because it keeps me from evil and it keeps me from harm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I walk through, I go in and I come out and that death for the born-again believer, it's a shadow. And so that being the case, he says, I'll fear no evil. But it's all predicated upon first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. David was wrong. He's my shepherd and you should say pastor no you're wrong he's my shepherd and we should take possession of the shepherd who has first taken possession of us my lord is my shepherd the one who governs over my life is the one who tenderly and lovingly cares for me every step of the way and then thirdly it is he who keeps us in our christian walk to me to humble myself is to make myself vulnerable but in that vulnerability before God, He not only keeps me, but He has given me eternal life. He has watched over and kept me, but He is one day going to bring me into His kingdom that I will be part of that great heavenly congregation. We've studied it on Wednesday morning with the men mobilized for Christ. The ladies are looking at it and their small group study now. But again, we just have to understand 
the book of Revelation. We get all caught up in the, in, in the locusts and the demons and all of that. But that's my heritage. That's my heritage. That's what I'm obtaining to in this life. That's there and it's a reality that it's for me that one day I'm going to be entering into that. Not the demons and the grasshoppers, but the presence of the Lamb who looks as though he had been slain. And is the, as Job said, oh, how my heart yearns within me. Oh, how I look forward to that day. And again, we see the nations raging today in the Middle East as they always will, in the African countries and even in our nation. But nonetheless, in the midst of all of that, our praises of thanks need to go up to God based upon who He is, what He has done, and all that He is going to do. And so again, His mercy endures forever. It's all about God's mercy. Under His mercy, you can encompass love, loving kindness, favor, godliness, pity, and devotion. But again, it's key here. It's key what God has done and people are just responding to His mercy. Be responsive to your God. If you have a soul that is sharpened to the presence of God, then you will be responsive to the things of the Lord. And what I mean by responsive to the things of the Lord, definitely in His Word, without a doubt, but also just in the little ways that God meets you as you go through your day. Most of us don't see Him because there's just so much that is going on in our lives. There's so much noise out there, so much clatter. Your cell phone's going off. My Facebook, I've got three responses to this, and my Twitter's been tweeting all morning. My Facebook, and the phone's ringing itself. And we got all of these things. See, there used to be a day when you would like, (laughs) somebody knows what I'm saying, you leave your house, and you wouldn't communicate with anybody until you got home, other than the people at work. And, And then all of a sudden, they developed a fax machine. So before you can say, well, you know, I'll mail it to you there, it was a little bit more instant. And then we got pagers that they would beep us. And we'd be beeped and beeped and beeped. And then they came out with pagers that had two-tone beeps, so you can kind of differentiate between two different people. And then they had the ones that came up with the phone numbers. And now look where we're at. Somebody once told me in the early 90s, at one point, cell phones are going to be your primary phone line. And I laughed in his face. Today, my cell phone is my primary phone number. We don't have a landline in our house. And again, we got all of this. Do you have that means of communication to God? I know it's available, but are you taking advantage of it? Because what they'll, they'll say, you know, come and you know, pay us $300 a month and we'll give you free minutes. <laughs> See, it even takes you a while to get that one. God's got unlimited talk. God's got unlimited text. You just have to, is all you have to do is make the connection. If you make the connection, he's there. Not only is he there, but he's willing. He's willing and he's wanting. Come into the presence of God and understand the blessing that it is. Even when I came into this room, I come around the corner, my wife's always sitting in the back, so I usually come through the back and I come in and my wife's sitting there and I came around the corner today, my wife is sitting with my son and I came around the corner, ah! it was Duke. I was expecting to see my wife. It was quite a shock and I don't even remember why I'm telling you this, but just so you know. <laughs> I've been traumatized before I even come up here. No, about God, about coming before God. We always know that we're going to get that grace and His mercy. We know what we're getting when we come into His presence. Again, you've got unlimited minutes here. Take advantage of them. And if you're unsure about that, little commercial, we're talking about prayer on Sunday morning. And so, there was, there was Moses. He wanted to see God. We've looked at this many times before in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. And 
God told them to stand in the rock, in the cleft of the rock. And we see that's a picture of being in the presence of Jesus Christ to be able to see God. But no, it's not about seeing God. It's about knowing God. And God proclaimed his name in verse 5 of chapter 34. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with them there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. This is how we know God, through his name, through the nature and the essence of God. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, what is the response of this? The response of Moses is one of thankful worship. He wanted to see God. Now, he wanted to, you know, just as truly as I see Dan here, he wanted to see God like that, but he saw God to such a degree that it just overwhelmed him in a spirit of worship. Verse 8, so Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. He's seen God in his grandeur and his beauty. And again, how God revealed himself is is how God reveals himself to mankind. Again, I'm just going to reread verse 6, but merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. And these things overwhelm Moses to such a degree. Now, he's been conversing with God, but now he sees God through the nature and the essence of God and it overwhelms him, and it gives him again the spirit of worship. So Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worship. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And so, you know, I say, we got all the stuff going on in the Middle East. Those are bad people over there. And all the things, the unrest that's in Africa, those are bad people there. And all the things that are going on in this country and the riots, and those are bad. And we can start, but I'm a bad person as well. I've only come in to this kingdom through the grace of God. And, and so we are a stiff-necked people. We are a stiff. We get caught up in all of the things and the stuff of the world. We get caught up in our jobs and all of the problems and the issues. Be a thankful person. Meditate upon God. And if you don't know how to meditate on God, start here in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. Just meditate upon the nature of God and who God is. And see, because when Moses meditated upon it, then it caused worship and thanks to well up with inside of him. But I don't get to be there in front of God and see God as he did. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've got something better. You've got God's word. And this mercy, this mercy is an enduring mercy. And that's very key because God can be gracious and God can be merciful But if you rub them the wrong way, if that changes, what good does it really do? What good does it do at all? But his mercy here, we're told back in Psalm 136, it endures forever. And the thing about that that is so important and how that relates to us is because you, me, us, we're going to put it to the test. I'm not telling you to put it to the test. I'm just giving you the natural fact that you're going to put his enduring mercy to the test. And I praise God that this is divine mercy. It's one thing for someone's nature and essence to be a particular way. It's quite another thing for their nature and their essence to be that way when they're tested. And we test them, don't we? We test them through unbelief. We test them through our arrogance. We test them through our, I want this and I want that. And we test them and we test them. But nonetheless, it continues to endure forever. And so today, instead of testing, we need to be thankful. We thank God that His mercy endures forever because of His goodness. Again, verses 1 through 3. I'm just going to read the first part. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. 
Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endures forever. In Psalm 135, we were told to worship God by praising God. Here, another integral part of worshiping and praising is the simple giving of thanks. Now, keep that in mind, because there's (coughs) so many ways to worship God. I worship God through my giving. I worship God through my singing. I worship God through my learning. I worship God through my devotional life. And you worship God through thanksgiving, recognizing his providence that he has been a cornucopia of provision to your life. Is there anybody here today that walked to church? Is there anybody today that took a cab or a bus? You probably drove a car that God gave you. You drove a car that God gave you. I notice there's everybody sit here, you're dressed, and actually you're dressed pretty nicely. God's put clothes on our back. And again, if there's anybody here that doesn't have food, that would be your sin because we're offering it to you. Don't go away hungry. God has provided for you. Be receptive of that. And if it takes the killing off of pride in your life, then so be it. God wants to do work in that. How many people today are eating turkeys? I'm raising my hand because I am. How many people are doing ham? Zinni. No, I was saving the last one for you. I was going to say, how many people are eating fish? Because I'll never forget that you guys are eating fish. I, I can't hear anything up here. Oh, shrimp. Okay. Well, that's not really fish, but that's okay. No, I asked that one year, and people raise their hand for the turkey about the same ham. Anything else? And Cindy says, I'm eating fish. Who eats fish? We finally got her converted. She's eating ham. In a couple more years, she'll be eating turkey. So we're getting around that way. In this first stanza, God is thanked because of the good way in which he has expressed himself to us. These first three verses are taken from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God, and God of gods, and Lord of lords. Notice the three ways here God has expressed himself to us. Verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Again, the Lord in my Bible, probably in yours, it's all in caps. That means it's representative of the tetragrammaton Yahweh. Yahweh, I am who I am. It speaks of the burning bush experience and how God revealed himself throughout. I am the God that is. And again, if you look at the book of Exodus, that's in chapter 3 that it occurs, the burning bush, I am. And what you see throughout the rest of the book of Exodus is all of the other gods are not. You have the gods of Egypt and God is able to overcome them. Why is he able to overcome them? Because they're non-existent. They're figments of people's imagination. Really, they're figments of people's flesh is what they are. But nonetheless, this is Yahweh. This is the Lord who is. It speaks of his existence in your life. He is God of and in your life. Verse 2. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Now, it's a generic Elohim of Elohims. He is God above all that has proclaimed to be God. He's God above what we have made to be gods in our lives, the false idols that we have made. But God in actuality and reality is God. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful for Yahweh. I'm thankful that he is Elohim. It speaks of his deity. And then verse 3, oh, give thanks to the Lord. That Lord is capital L, lowercase, Adonai. And the idea here is, is that he is in control. It speaks of his dominion. That God watches over me, God keeps me, God provides for me. Second stanza, thanking God because of his goodness in creation. Verses 4 through 9. 
to him who alone who does great wonders, to him who by wisdom made the heavens, to him who laid out the earth above the waters, to him who made great lights, the sun to rule by day and the moon and stars to rule by night, his mercy endures forever. Since God is good, everything that he does is good. He's given me this creation to enjoy and to receive of. I've mentioned it before. We went to the Grand Canyon probably about four or five years ago, and just to see the Grand Canyon, you just see the hand of God in that. It's just, it's huge. It's huge, and it's just, it's just so overwhelming. And then we went to Yosemite, and you go into the Yosemite Valley, and you see uh, El Capitan Half Dome and the various waterfalls, and it's just overwhelming. Get in an airplane, you fly across the country, and you see the vastness of this nation. Seems so crowded, but you look at the vastness of this nation and all of the empty space and understand that God is God over all of that. He has created us, created us, and created those things for us to enjoy. But, as we're told in Romans, that we would also see these things and we would look to God. Creation speaks of the existence of God. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God, well, there's the word proclaiming God, God made. We have the two instances and how you know of the existence of God, the other one being our salvation. But the two uh, instances of the existence of God and what an amazing thing that that is. And again, just looking at the stars at night, when I went over to my grandson's uh, house last night, Chelsea's house last night, saw Henry, he was in the bathtub and he was just in there enjoying it and just seeing the beauty, the beauty of this baby who is two years ago, wasn't even here. And again, just see how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I look at myself in the bathtub, but that's an ugly experience. (laughs) Third stanza, we thank God. I'm sorry to give you that picture. (laughs) Third stanza, we thank God because of his goodness in salvation. Verses 11 and 12, verse 10 through 12. Uh, to him who struck Egypt and their firstborn and brought out Israel from among them with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. He saved us. He saved us from the destruction of the world. Egypt was about to go down. Why? Because God is pulling the influence that blessed them as the most powerful nation in the world. And that was his people. It's the same thing with America. America is the greatest nation of the world still, as much as a mess it is and how it has refused God in general, but there's still the cleansing influence of the church and the blessings that come through the church. One day, the church is going to be removed and it's going to be tribulation. But nonetheless, in John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. We are in the strong hand of God. And I thank God for that. Verses 13 through 14, He has separated us from the world. To Him who has divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for His mercy endures forever. Again, a necessary lesson right at the beginning, right out of the gate that Israel needed. Here they're delivered from Egypt, but now they have to learn the lesson of trusting in God. And so God brings them through that valley right up to the Red Sea, and there's a problem right off the bat. They're stuck. They're trapped. 
Red Sea's in front of them. There's a mountain range over here, and now here comes the Egyptian army. What are we going to do? Later on, it will be no water in the wilderness. What are we going to do? What happens when you see no way out? What are you going to do? And the idea is simply, you need to trust in God. And that's a learned reaction to hardship. And so, the Israelites, they were looking around. They were looking around, what are we going to do? Well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to stone Moses. And so, Moses is a little concerned. So, what does Moses do? He starts preaching a sermon. Verse 13, I'm in Exodus chapter 14. It won't be on the board. Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Now, all of those are truths, without a doubt. But I think he's talking to save his life rather than to express those truths to the people. Now, they're going to stone him, and he just starts talking. And then verse 15, God intervenes. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. And the idea here is, it's not time for a sermon. It's time for action. And, and the idea here, it tells me, I never told you to stop. I told you, I led you this way. And the idea is, God led them that way. And when the people got to the water, they stopped. And not one of those millions of people had faith enough to step into the water. <coughs> if they would have just plowed on through, the sea would have split a lot earlier. And they could have saved a lot of heartache. How many times does that apply to you? How many times do you stop because you see a hardship, even though you know God's leading in that direction? I've done it. God's leading in that direction. All of a sudden, there's some kind of hardship there. There's a Red Sea before you, and you stop. And God tells you, where, you know, kind of look at me, where are you at? And, you, and you're, you're back there, and you're preaching a sermon to God about faith, about trust, or whatever, but you're not doing it. You're not doing it. And so God tells him, go down to that uh, sea and stick your big toe in it. Now, that's got to be a hard thing to do. I'll give Moses, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Because again, you've got two million men and plus millions of women and children and all of that. They're throwing the rock up and down in their hand. If this don't work, you're a dead man. And so God told them to go forward. And so he's walking forward and there's 10 million rocks being thrown up and down. And he, his mindset is, God told me to go stick my toe into that sea, and he's going to split the sea. Well, he stick the staff in the sea, and he's going to split the sea. And so put yourself in that place. Put yourself in that place. Millions of people watching you, and you're going to do something that makes absolutely no human sense whatsoever. I mean, you can't even perceive that this ocean is going to... But the thing about it is, God told him to do it, and he went forth and did it. And you know what happened? Of course, the sea split, because God said it was going to. And so what did they do? They went through on the dry ground because, well, that's what God said was going to happen. And as he did that, God provided. God provided and God saved his people. And we need to see God's goodness and salvation because I know for me in my life, the day that I was saved, that was God splitting the sea because I was still waiting back. My wife kind of jumped into this Christian thing, but I'm not jumping into this Christian thing. I'm going to check it out first. And God didn't say, I didn't tell you to check it out. I told you to come in. But again, I was sitting there, and I was sitting back. And again, there was unrest until I took that step of faith. I took that step of faith, and I walked in. God, God has separated us from the world. Why? Because we are people who do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith in the Word of God. Verse 15, He delivered us from the world, but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. 
Pharaoh didn't know this at the time because it was, wasn't written, but the world needs to realize it today. Zechariah 2.8, he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Again, God gave great promises to Abraham, to all of Israel. He who blesses you, I will bless. He who curses you, I will curse. He directs us regardless of the world. Verse 16, he directs us in our ways to him who led his people through the wilderness for his mercy endures forever. And he also directs us in, his, in our wars and in, in the hardships and the fights that we fight. To him who struck down the great kings and slew famous kings, Shion, king of the Amorites, and Ong, king of Bashan, for his mercy endures forever. <coughs> These were people more powerful than them, but nonetheless, God delivered them. Now think of Israel out in that, out in that wilderness. They're vulnerable. They're not soldiers. They're They're slaves. They're, they're, they're people who were making bricks, who were grinding corn, who were out in the fields doing whatever, but they had absolutely no war training. I mean, Egypt wouldn't allow that because they'd be afraid they would rise up. But God, as long as they had their eyes upon God, they received victory after victory after victory. And then verses 21 through 24, this is the God who gives us life and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant, who remembered us in our lowly state and rescued us from our enemies, for his mercy endures forever. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 He has rescued me from my enemies. He's rescued me from the world. He's rescued me from the worst enemy that could possibly be. The devil? No. Myself. Myself. I've done more damage to my spiritual life and my relationship with God than anybody else. And God has set me free from me. Matter of fact, he killed the old me. God didn't even just change the old me. He killed off the old me. And now I'm this new creation in Christ. And again, it's so essential to our Christian life to recognize that, to be able to pinpoint that in our lives. And then fourthly, we thank God because of his grace. Verse 25, who gives food to all flesh. I'm not deserving of that. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever not only has he kept me out of hell he's given me grace and he's bringing me into heaven he's working that out daily in my life it's through his grace that i have these great hopes stored for me waiting for me and so i just want to leave you with this one last thought we're going to bounce back a chapter chapter 135 verses 15 through 18 it says the idols of the nations are silver and gold the work of men's hands. And so again, very appropriate verse for this time with Black Friday and even today with all the stuff on tables apart from the knowledge of God. The idols of this nation are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts them. You will become like that which you worship. You will become like that which you worship. If you worship a sports team, you'll have the sports, nothing wrong with wearing jerseys and all that, don't get me wrong on that, but I'm just saying that just becomes part of, you know, you got the guys, you know, it's freezing weather. There'll be some idiot back in some eastern, in the middle of a snowstorm, will have no shirt on and he'll have his body all painted and, you know, done up and all of that stuff. You'll become like he who you worship. The more you give of yourself over to the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more like Jesus Christ you will become. The more you give of yourself over to the world, the more like the world you will become. I just want to...
close with this last. I, I usually read either George Washington's proclamation or Abraham Lincoln's proclamation. I started off with Lincoln, so I'm going to close with George. This is George Washington's proclamation. Again, Thanksgiving was not, did not become a national holiday during George's day, but it was recognized. George Washington wrote, Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God. We, we don't agree with that as a nation today. We don't agree with that. Matter of fact, we don't even recognize that this existed back in the day. Separation of church and state that the world would say. But there's really no such thing. Whereas it is the duty, now this is one of our founding fathers, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly implore His protection and favor. Whereas both the houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. Notice how those two are joined together. We kind of lost the prayer part. But this was originally meant to be a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. To be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and uh, significant favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity to peacefully establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend next to be devoted by the people of the states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the benefit, beneficent author of all good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in re rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection for the people of this country. Just as surely as I read all of these things here concerning Israel, equating it to us, George recognized it as well. I don't know that George just read Psalm 136. He could have, but I don't know that he did and then wrote this. But nonetheless, you see how these things reflect. It's just the knowledge and bottom line, the knowledge and the providence of God. I was back in Washington, I think it was in 2010, and we toured um, Mount Vernon. And George is buried in Mount Vernon. His tomb is there. And so we took the tour. We walked through his house. And then we came out into the, uh, into the, uh, the area where his tomb is. And on the tomb of George Washington is a plaque that bears the following inscription. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John 11 25 to 26. Father, we stand before you here this morning as people who believe that you are truly the resurrection and the life. That, Father, as you have done these things for us, I pray, Father, that deep within inside us would well up truly a spirit of thanking you, God, thanking you that you have brought us to this church. Thank you that you have given us, Lord, everlasting life. Thank you for the fellowship that we have, the feeling of family here in this place and the family that we have at home. And Lord, right now I just lift up those who will be going into unsaved family and friends' homes, that, Father, they would be that witness that you have called them to be, that, Father, when thanks is offered, it would be seen that they are offering thanks to God. When there's opportunity to share, that the people would take that opportunity, that, Father, we would see that you are glorified throughout our lives. And so, Father, this is that day that is designated for thanksgiving and prayer, but I pray, Father, that this will continue through to every day of our lives. But we thank you, Father, for this one little monument that has been built upon the calendar that focuses back where our focus needs to be. And so, Father, we just thank you and praise you. I pray for those who have come out this morning that you would just go before them, that you would bless them, 
And Father, again, we would be quite knowledgeable of where our blessings come from, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You all stand.